Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Another edition of the Cooking Up Sports with Gage Bull show. I got another special guest with me on this show. Uh, some of you may know him from his podcast with his buddy, uh, the All Angels podcast, Halo Haven on Instagram. Great podcast, by the way, for you Angels fans. They are the best in the biz. Uh, and I bring on my next guest, Daniel Garcia. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for that. Uh, for saying we're the best, we just we're trying to do what we can. But uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, man, and I wholeheartedly believe that you guys are so great. The interviews are fantastic. I just got one, just got done uh, listening to Johnny interview Jose Moda today. That yeah. that is so special that you guys get to do that. Um, and and your relationship with these Angels players, especially uh, you and Brandon Marsh, it's so cool to see that these guys can have relationships uh, with these kind of people, and, and I love it. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're definitely lucky when it comes to those relationships, whether it's, like you said, Brandon, that we've uh, got to see kind of progress through the system when he was over by us. We were in Empire 66ers, the single-A affiliate of the Angels. They're literally, you know, 10, 15 minutes away from where we live in Riverside, California. So when, we were, when he was there, we, you know, got kind of a friendship going and then a, a, a lot of credit to Brandon just being a great kid yeah. a great young man and just continuing you know not forgetting the little people I guess if you want to say but he's always a great guy and always easy to talk to yeah definitely uh Brandon Marsh really reminds me of of Mike Trout uh and you know Victor Rojas mentioned this on my last podcast but you know Mike Trout at the end of the day is just a kid from Millville New Jersey and he recognized that recognizes that and uh takes time to recognize these small people. And I've really noticed that in Brandon Marsh as well. And and he's, he's such a great guy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I can't agree with him more. I mean, Brandon, uh, you know, like I said, I, I've seen him progress through the system. I've seen him in Alien Empire. Um, you know, even after the games, there's a bunch of kids that are down by the, by the gate, you know, wanting autographs, stuff like that. And he always takes the time out to go over there and talk a little bit with the kid as he signed the ball or even, um, there was a video that came out at this last Arizona Fall League where, you know, there, there's a little bit of a walkway between where the stadium is, where they play the games uh, in Arizona, and where the actual clubhouse locker room is. And, you know, he was out there for, you know, even if it's only a couple of minutes, playing catch with a kid, you know, um, before he goes to, to the locker room to change and, and you know, kind of head home. So, yeah, he, he's definitely a guy that um, I don't think he – I don't want to say he doesn't realize it, but he doesn't let it seem like he's – he's a big league player. Like he's very approachable, very um, open to talk to anybody and everybody. And that's just who he is. And he's always been, and it's very, very uh, cool to kind of have a relationship with someone like that, that it does have a name in the angels organization being the second overall prospect uh, for the angels. And now getting into the top 100 uh, through MLB pipeline. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it's so great to see stuff like that. Uh, today we're here to discuss our favorite team, the Angels and I and I want to start off be, uh, asking you this question. Uh, the Angels had such a busy off season and and they started it off with a complete bang. We bring Joe Madden back home. What was your initial reaction to the Angels getting Joe Madden, and what do you think he brings to the table for the Angels specifically regarding this twenty twenty season? Well, you know when. It's funny because like when Adamo started falling, where Joe wasn't going to be brought back from, uh, wasn't going to go back to the Chicago Cubs, and then you kind of hear that the Osmus thing isn't really working out, and you, you kind of saw it coming. It was a very slow burn. Then all of a sudden, bam! Like you said, they signed him to a deal, and, and he's coming home. For people that don't know, you know, he, he was a lifelong Angel, you know, minor league player for a while, but also then a coach, part of the 2002 World Series championship that a lot of Angel fans really hold dear to themselves. So. When you saw that Joe was finally coming home, you couldn't help to feel excited that part of the past, part of the the, the winning time of the Angels is coming back to help hopefully, you know, push this team to the next level and make a serious run for the playoffs. And as far as what he, he's going to bring, you know, to this team, you know, I've already kind of talked to some people that are down in, in spring training and kind of just asked the overall kind of feel uh the different last couple of years and, and there is a noticeable difference, you know, it's fun. You know, I, someone told me that, you know, Joe's going to add to the fun, not saying that Osmus was, you know, kind of taken away, but he wasn't really adding to it. He was just kind of like, okay, whatever's going to happen is going to happen as far like in the locker room guys having fun, but he wasn't going to take away, but he wasn't going to add to it either where Joe is kind of like an open book and he likes to talk to guys and, and he's always, 
Uh, man, you see the press conference when he got hired, and he had a story for anything and everything uh, what people brought up, and he just kind of brings that fun to another level. And it would be interesting to see how that translates um, to the field, and hopefully, you know, it produces some wins. But you know, it, it was definitely a great way to start the off season when you get a big name like Joe, but not only that, but a guy with serious, serious ties to the Angels organization from, you know, way back in the day. Yeah, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I, I'm like you. I was very happy to hear that he was coming back. Um, and what I really like about Joe Madden as a manager is people forget, uh, you know, after the Angels goes to Tampa Bay, people forget that, you know, Joe Madden led them to the World Series in 2008 against the Philadelphia uh, Phillies, where they lost that series four to one, and and I and I think people forget that is he took this team and the Rays that were kind of in the muck at the time, and he and he brought them up and he made them relevant, and he he brought them to the highest game in the game in the world, you know that being the World Series, and uh, then he goes with the Chicago Cubs and he wins the 2016 World Series over there, ending that long drought, and I think what he brings to the table is he brings a winning mentality. Not saying that Brad Osmus did it and Mike Sosha did it, but I think Joe Madden has a winning mentality that Brad Osmus really lacked and something that Mike Sosha had, but Mike Sosha didn't really let it shine through. And I think he brings a lot of open mind, open mindedness um, to this team as well. Um, you know, what really impressed me uh, was, you know, he didn't really comment on Mike Trout or Shohei Otani at first. The first guy he really complimented was David Fletcher and he pointed out how much he liked him and how much he was, you know, how versatile he was. And that really impressed me. A guy in David Fletcher who isn't really a big star name in the MLB, our brand new managers bringing up and saying, Hey, I like this guy. I like what he brings to the table. So yeah, you know, I think Joe Madden brings a winning mentality that Brad Osmus locked and some open-mindedness. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point as far as he's won everywhere he's been a manager for, obviously, like you said, with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and and the, the crazy thing about the Rays, you know, whatever he put over there, it's continue, they, they continue to to win, you know, there. And obviously with the Cubs breaking that seriously long curse in Chicago. And now I think that's part of it, too, is that, you know, you have a winner, you have a proven winner at the helm for the Angels and you have a guy that – like I said before, that is so tied into the Angels organization, and he's win. It's, it's like if there was a check uh, a checklist for a perfect manager for the Angels, you know, he fits every single box that you can think of. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you again, one hundred percent. Joe Madden is a great addition to this team. Next question for you: um, What are your what is your realistic expectation when it comes to the Angels this season? Where do you think? They end up, whether that be in the postseason or they're barely out of it. Like, where do you see the Angels this season realistically? Yeah, see, that's that's hard only because, you know, there's certain teams in baseball where they can afford to lose a guy here or there, and it's not going to really affect them a whole lot. Where the Angels, if you were to tell me everyone's going to be at their best for the whole year, I would definitely say they're definitely in contention to, to win a wild card spot. But the injuries are, are the hardest thing to predict and and, and practically impossible to predict. So, yeah. you know, the Angels have some guys. I mean, obviously you start out with Mike Trout, but the, also the uh, addition of Anthony Rendon playing third base and giving a solid one-two combination for the first time in a long time um, with the Angels. You know, but if, but if the pitching staff, it, it continues to be a question mark. You know, if, if these guys continue continually can't stay healthy and are missing significant time, you know, it can be a really, you know, average to below average year but you know I, I think there's a lot of stuff in place where if, if things are working right and the things and people stay healthy or you know obviously little nicks and, and, and little things here and there are going to happen but as long as no one really misses significant time and i'm talking like a month two months I, you know if they avoid yeah. that I, I honestly think they can make a run for a, for a wild card you know i honestly think they'll probably be somewhere around the um you know, 88, 92, somewhere around there, get a couple couple bouncing balls here and there that, that helps them. I wouldn't be surprised if they're somewhere around there if everyone stays, you know, somewhat healthy. But the, the health is the biggest thing. And honestly, as an Angel fan, you know, um, it's the scariest thing because you can sit here and say, oh, you know, if they stay healthy, they stay healthy. But then you start looking back in Angel's past, you know, recent past, 
that never seems to be the issue. Yeah. It seems to be the, the, that always seems to be the problem, the health. So, um, yeah. you know, it, it, this team has, has a very, very good ceiling, but also has a really low, uh, floor. If, if guys, if, if Haney can't turn the corner and is, is banged up, if you can't get innings that you're hoping to get out of guys like, um, Julio Tehran and, 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 and Bundy, um, those guys are going to be vital just to at least eat up innings and not put such a stress on the bullpen like there was last year. But, you know, if everyone stays reasonably healthy and is able to perform to what their, uh, you know, career averages are, I, I wouldn't be surprised that the Angels are competing somewhere around the trade deadline to make a trade for a serious frontline starter. And that kind of propels them to that, like I said, 89, 90, 92 kind of win total. And that's going to be right in the hunt, I believe, this year uh, for a wild card burst. Yeah, um, I I agree with you 100%. You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, you mentioned injuries. Injuries, like you said, have really plagued the Angels in the past because one one go, guy goes down, we don't really have a whole lot of backups that can right. back the guy up. Uh, for instance, Justin Upton getting hurt this, this past year. I mean, it, it really hurt us because there for a while – we were really in a wild card contention spot. We were a couple games out and we were fighting. Upton gets hurt, and all of a sudden we started to plummet. Our pitching staff, you mentioned the pitching staff. That's a very big question. I mean, our best starter as of this moment is probably Andrew Heaney because Shohei Otani, people forget, is coming back in mid May, pitching wise. Um, and, you know, we got a lot of questions surrounding Julio Tehran. At one point, he was the Braves' opening day starter, number one starter. But, he, you know, maybe he's not that anymore. Uh, he, he for sure has not shown that the past couple of seasons. Uh, can Dylan Bundy turn the corner and and put Baltimore, his Baltimore career in the past and start fresh with us and and return possibly to the prospect he once was? Is Griffin Canning going to be very solid? Him and Jose Suarez? Very young guys. They are very impressive. Had a lot of talent. Last season was very up and down for them, though. There were games they could go six, seven innings and be completely solid, but there were games where they would go three to five innings and not be so great. So, like you said, there are a lot of questions surrounding our health and pitching staff. And really, like you said, we have we have a pretty high ceiling, but we also have a low floor. Yeah, you know, the, one of the bigger questions with, you know, outside of health, obviously, with the pitching staff, a lot of these guys are young, you know, Jaime Perea, um, Griffin Canning, you know, Suarez, Sandoval, I mean, yeah. these guys are young, so you have to think they are going to, you know, uh, get better as the year goes on, you, you know, we're not talking about a bunch of guys that are, you know, 34, 35, 36, where they're going to take steps, start yep. taking, you know, a step back. These guys are all, you know, obviously early 20s in the, the very, very beginning of the year. So, you know, people are worried about the, the pitching staff. I get it. But I don't think, you know, like I said, the Cannings, the Bereas, the, the, the uh, Sandovals, they're not going to be the same guys they were last year because you can yeah. only assume that they're going to get better, whether it's, it's by a big margin or small margin. I, I think the progression for those guys is going to be really big also in, in the year to come. Yeah, and I love how you mentioned that, how young they are. I mean, I think we we need to be patient with these guys. We have to take into account that they're young. I mean, Suarez and Griffin Canning, that was their first major league season last year, and all they can do from here is go up. Jaime Berea looked actually pretty good last year, and I hope the signing of Mickey Calloway um, brings out the best in these guys. Yeah, you know, like I said, Sandoval... Sandoval and probably Sandoval and Suarez probably got brought up a year early because of what um, the health concerns. Again, it's always going to come kind of feel like it comes back to health. But I think those guys got brought up a year earlier than expected because they had to. Um, now this year, if everything, if everything goes right, you know maybe those guys continue to develop a little bit longer in AAA and are more of a depth piece right now. And then moving forward into 2021, 2022, those are guys going to be solid foundations in a rotation but you know griffin canning showed really really good stuff when he was there before the injury um and and being so young when an injury like that kind of pops up you want to take your time with it you want to make sure that you're not going to do anything to make it worse especially at that time when he got injured last season the, you know the angels weren't weren't really in contention for anything so there was no reason to bring it back so you know i, I really want to see how canning does this year obviously andrew Haney being 
the 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 leader of that rotation now just by you know so many people coming and going interested to see again if he takes the next step and, and just you know the progression of a lot of these young arms uh, that's going to be something for me i'm going to watch all year long yeah definitely uh so you mentioned earlier the trade deadline um what do you think about the angels not really progressing towards towards talking with simmons about an extension what what are your thoughts on that you know, I think right now it's, it's a little early. Um, Simmons obviously is a great player. Obviously, is a player that a lot of Angel fans have have grown to love over the years through his defense and just kind of, you know, his personality. Like meeting him one time when he was at, uh, doing a rehab start at Illinois Empire CC Sixers, it was very easy to to see, you know, how he's a fan favorite. He's always, you know, has a smile on his face and kind of messing around with guys in, in the dugout, but. You know, his age, the position, um, what does he want, I guess, is the biggest thing, too. I mean, this time last year, no one saw a extension coming for Mike Trout. And then that all of a sudden broke at the very end of spring training. And, and, and no one saw that. Even some of the beat writers I've talked to didn't see that coming. So, you know, I'm not necessarily worried about it right now as we talk about it in late February that there's no contact or contract talks because that can change all within, you know, three, four weeks. He has a great spring training. He stays healthy for spring training. And next thing you know, they can have some serious talks. But, you know, he's, it's going to be really interesting to see how, what they do with him. You know, I, I don't think they flip him at any point, even if they're not seriously about uh, contract signing him or sending him an extension because – I don't think they're going to make up their mind fully until the end of the year or close to the end of the year. Um, you know, maybe it's a qualifying offer. You know, I, I just think if, if Simmons is willing to, to sign a three-year contract, I think that works really, really good, really, really great. But if, if, if he's a guy that's looking for a four- or five-year contract, then that might be kind of tricky for the Angels moving forward because of his age and some of the infield depth that that's going to be ready in, you know, 2022, 2023. And, and, you know, where Sim is going to be in his career at that point. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with you 100%. And I want to thank you for bringing up the Mike Trout extension. Nobody saw that coming. It was, you know, we hadn't really heard about anything being in the works really too much even. And, And then bang, at the end of spring training, he signs a $400 million extension for Simmons. Like you said, uh, one one to three year contract is is great an extension uh because Simmons is definitely a player you don't want to see walk away because the defense he brings uh last year with the bat he did pretty good as well this is a guy you don't want walking away from your organization I think the fans would be sad and I think even Andleton Simmons would be sad because I think he's grown to to love these angels and and love the fans yeah, I mean, he, he's 30, year, 30 years old right now. Um, he's not going to turn 31 until the end of the year. So, But by then, then you're thinking about, okay, if you sign him to a three-year contract, you have him until 33, and then you can kind of, again, figure it out from there. If he wants a five-year contract, I just, you know, what are you going to get in that 34, 35-year, you know, the, the age uh, years? I'm just yeah. not sure if, um, you know, he's always been, a, you know, a good offensive bad maybe above average at his best but you know does that decline are you now willing to just bank on his defense well he's a great defender but at a certain point everybody slows down everyone loses a step you know and it's, yeah. that's the hard part about players is this you just don't know when that is it can be when he's 37 you, or it could be when he's 33 you just never know when that wall is coming but you know if he has a, a healthy season which he struggled with last year um, but if you have another healthy year like he's had in the past, um, you know, I, I really hope the Angels do extend him. I really hope the Angels do offer him that that three-year deal where, um, you know, uh, GMs and teams are, are willing now to spend a little more for those shorter contracts, you know. So maybe, yeah, offer him maybe a little more than he's looking for for a three-year deal and get, get him the money that way instead of, um, of a five-year deal or even like a six-year deal, but you know, I, I really hope they they do end up giving him some kind of an extension because um, he has been a really fan favorite for a long time with the Angels. Yeah, and and uh, we need to remember also that the Angels do have some infield prospects when it comes um, to second base and, and shortstop, where Simmons is playing uh, specifically Jeremiah Jackson. I got the the privilege of watching him in Orem play for the Owls and. This kid is special. Uh, 
was smacking bombs like crazy, and his defense is no joke either. So the Angels also need to take that into consideration and when they're looking to extend Simmons. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, last question for you. Busy guy. We got to let you go. We, I just want to thank you for your time uh, with me. Uh, so great to talk to you. What is your biggest question coming into this regular season surrounding the Angels? What is your biggest question or concern? Yeah, uh, on our podcast, we've been previewing the AL West with a lot of guys, beat writers, guys that have podcasts. And I've asked them kind of that question for what they think kind of being on the outside view. And it's all come back pretty much the same as far as the pitching, the pitching, the pitching, you know, is it going to hold up? Is it going to produce? Is it going to be able to, this, this, this lineup's going to be really, really good. Like I said, the, the addition to Anthony Rendon, the, the, uh, if Upton can stay healthy, Shohei Otani, uh, you know, if Simmons is able to produce, uh, this lineup's going to be really, really good. It's so my biggest question is going to be, can that, uh, rotation and bullpen, do enough to 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 win some of those games to win you know uh, a, a five to six game can they do enough like you're not looking for uh Cy Young caliber outings by your guys by any means but can they be respectful and can they get deep into games can they get into the sixth seventh and maybe even the eighth inning a lot of times because last year the pitchers weren't able to do that I think it was yeah. you know a good month maybe two months into the season before a single pitcher went into the seventh inning um, so, you know, I think that's going to be the biggest thing is rotation. Can they do enough? Not looking for them to be Cy Young winners by any means, but can they do enough to, uh, keep this team, uh, uh floating until the trade deadline where if they're competing, you can definitely see some kind of trade movement to get a frontline ace type of starter into, in the rotation. Yeah. And I agree with you 100%. The, my biggest concern and question is, is this pitching staff? Because, like you mentioned, the lineup. Our lineup can hang up there with pretty much anybody. Anthony Rendon was one of the best hitters in baseball last year. I mean, the guy hit 319, 34 home runs, and 126 RBIs. You got Mike Trout, MVP, definitely going to be shooting for that MVP again this year. Upton solid. Fletcher's a great leadoff guy. Simmons can produce. Pujols is going to be producing. Jason Castro. I mean, this lineup is great. Uh, the bullpen is great. I mean, especially our back of the bullpen. And when we have Ty Butchery, Keenan Middleton, Hansel Robles, they all return. Hopefully Keenan Middleton is very healthy this year because when he's healthy, he's on. Ty Butchery showed signs of greatness. Um, Hansel Robles is very good. But like you mentioned, the pitching staff. Uh, how far can we go? I mean, the Angels have really, really struggled going into the seventh inning and sometimes even the sixth inning. I mean, our guys – Last season, on average, we're averaging five innings a game, starting pitching-wise. And you you can work with that somewhat, but at the same time, you can't because you, you need a guy to go six innings, especially your starting pitcher. You need him to go six innings and to produce. Um, but really, like you said, pitching staff-wise, where's Dylan Bundy going to be at? Where's Julio Tehran going to be at? Andrew Heaney is the leader of the pitching staff at this moment. How is he going to be as a leader what is he going to do this season? How is he going to produce? We signed Matt Andres. We don't know. I don't know if he's going to be a starter or uh, come out of the bullpen this year. I don't know if we'll rock with a six-man rotation. Canning, Suarez, and Berea all young, so we're going to have to be patient with them. But like you said, high ceiling, low floor. The low floor, man, it, it, it will come down to the pitching this season for the Angels. I mean, the scores of our games, I saw a joke on Instagram the other day. I mean, the score of the Angels games will be like 19 to 18. <laughs> because, like, that would be our average score because, I mean, just the, the pitching realm for the Angels is is still, once again, a big, big question mark for us. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit with Kenny Middleton. He's coming back from Tommy – or last year he came back from Tommy John, so you already know he was kind of on a limit to what uh, he can do. Now that he's a full year removed from that, he, he – you know, you can theoretically put him into more situations and maybe a little more high lever situations. But it, you know, like you said, it's going to come down to that starting rotation because you had a, a, a guy in the bullpen like Ty Butchery last year, the front half of the year, all-star caliber closer, was one of the best close or not closers, but uh, bullpen guys in the league. 
and then just over time getting 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 up and and pitching in games, pitching in games, pitching in games because there was nobody else because they're starting the kind of the bullpen game in the in the third or fourth inning and he had to come in and yep. you can see with his numbers he got worn out by the end of the year. So you know the the starting pitching is going to affect a lot. It's not only going to affect the starting pitching, but it's also going to affect the bullpen and, and yep. how good the bullpen is because you know like you said the back end of the rotation you think is good with with Middleton, Buttrey, and Robles, and then, you know, once Anderson gets back from it, from his injury, and then you still have a guy like Noe Ramirez that showed flashes, and, you know, obviously, you said the Andres, but also Felix Pena, where does he fit in, come off of uh, uh, ACL, you know, being in the bullpen, being kind of a long guy, it seems to fit him really well, where if you do have a, a, a starting pitcher that does go maybe, you know, four innings, four and two-thirds, or whatever, you can bring in a Pena to um, get you a couple uh, two, three innings, you know, kind of a bridge guy for that because, you know, those games do happen. Like, games where pitchers get shelled after three innings happen to every single team, yeah. almost every single pitcher. It's just that you can't – that can't be the norm. That has to be the outlier. And with the Angels last year, that became too much of, of the normal stuff yep. to see. Yep. You know, and, you know, as soon as it starts becoming like an, a, a, an occasional occurrence, then I think that the, the – uh, Rotation, well, you'll see the rotation be, will be doing its job, but it just, it just cannot be the the same old stuff every single night like it seemed like it was last year. Yeah, and I and I agree with you one hundred percent regarding the bullpen. I mean, we went to them so early, and especially last year, but also the year Mike Social retired in twenty seventeen. I mean, he was going to the bullpen a crap ton. I mean, it was ridiculous, and his go to guy was Fernando Salas of all people in the world. Fernando Salas was his go to man. But that, you know, this bullpen got worn out these past two seasons. I mean, they have been trotted over because they've been asked to come in early in games and eat up six innings. And and that's just uncalled for, uh, especially bullpen-wise. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely going to be the biggest the biggest storyline, the biggest, you know, probably the, the section of the team that can get the most eyeballs because, like you said, you, you know what you're going to get from Trout. You know what you can get from Wendell. You know, you, you can you can pretty much pencil those guys in for their numbers year in and year out. It's just, you know, the, the, the biggest question mark is the rotation. The biggest question mark is, you know, the innings pitched by the rotation if you want to get really specific into it. But, you know, it's one of those things where you hope they are able to um, especially Tehran and Bundy, that's the reason why they got brought in. To eat. And you're not looking for, like I said, Cy Young stuff, but if they give you a you know, high three, low four ERA, but are really, but are able to go out there and, and pitch, you know, pretty much seven innings every single time they're out there. You'll take that, you know, all, all the time and you'll be doing their job exactly how you want them to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Daniel, I want to thank you for your time. It's always great to talk angels with you. Where can the good people find you on social media? Yeah, so we are on social media. We're on Twitter and on Instagram. And lucky enough for us, we are under the same, uh, the same name. So if you just look up Halo underscore Haven on um, on Instagram and on Twitter, we post all our stuff, information about our podcast there. We, especially now with the season coming up, we'll be in spring training uh, out in Tempe in the beginning of March. So we'll do giveaways, and and for those giveaways, those will be the places where you can um, see them and and interact with us and and, and be uh, part of the giveaways and stuff like that. So definitely check us out. It's Halo underscore haven on twitter and on instagram yeah go make sure go go check them out guys go give them reviews on apple Podcasts. like i said these guys are the best daniel once again thank you so much thank you for your time hey hey second hour starting now i want to thank daniel garcia for hopping on and joining me on the show. It is always great to talk Angels baseball. He is so great, him and his buddy Johnny. Once again, they run Halo Haven on Instagram. They run an all-Angels podcast. It is great. Make sure to go check them out on iTunes, Spotify, especially Apple Podcasts. Go drop them a like, give them a review, subscribe, um, check out their episodes. They, They are great. Once again, thank you, Daniel, so much for hopping on the podcast with me. I want to start off this second hour talking about the Angels again and the, probably the most underrated move the Angels have made all season long. I mean, not all season. What am I talking about? All off season long. 
And that is the re-signing of J.C. Ramirez to a minor league deal. Okay? Here's the thing about J.C. J.C. recently just had a pretty long free agency, and he actually spent a month in Mexico this winter playing in the Mexican Winter League down there. The Mexico uh, Winter Baseball League down there. Great, great thing for a lot of these guys to do to take part in. A lot of guys will go play baseball in the Dominican Republic, Mexico, Puerto Rico. These are great opportunities to have for these guys to play more baseball and also to just keep training and keep the grind going. Uh, so there, there really is no off season for these guys. So he goes to Mexico. He plays about a month in the Mexico in Mexico as a long free agency period. And the angels decide to bring him back. And he, you know, the angels are really a team that revived J.C. Ramirez's major league career back in 2016 when they picked him up initially. Last season, uh, J.C. Ramirez spent a lot of it rehabilitating from Tommy John surgery procedure he had done in April 2018. Um, What's nice about J.C. Ramirez is he has the ability to either be a starting pitcher or be a role player out of the bullpen, a pitcher out of the bullpen. Um, but really the deciding factor of whether he'll be a starting pitcher or a pitcher coming out of the bullpen is velocity. Okay, he's 31 years old. And the reason he went down to Mexico to play baseball in the winter was he wanted to refine his fastball and that velocity. Uh, His main goal was to focus on velocity, and he did a very good job at accomplishing this goal. You think back to 2017 for J.C. Ramirez, all right? And when I look at J.C. Ramirez's numbers from about 2017, from the 2017 season, I see a solid starter overall, all right? He had great numbers. For us, initially, you know, uh, the Angels don't really have great starters. But he was really good in 2017. I mean, he was 11-10 and at a 4.15 ERA. He actually pitched in 27 games that year. He also pitched 147 in the third innings, gave up only 149 hits, struck out 105 that season. I mean, the Major League batting average against him was uh, 269, I believe. And the whip was 2.10. So very impressive numbers when it regards J.C. Ramirez. But I think about this past season, this 2019 season, and really his struggle to regain his velocity. And he made a real attempt at a comeback from elbow surgery, which is actually a pretty hard thing to do. So he... Like I said earlier, he goes down to Mexico. He spends a month down there. Main goal is I want to get my velocity back, and I'm going to do that start after start, and hopefully it starts to creep up every start. And at the end of the Winter League, he finally reached a total of 96 miles an hour. That is what he topped out as. So his fastest was 96 miles an hour. He had a Good month down there. I mean, he had a 3.92 ERA, struck out 29, and he issued eight walks over seven starts. And this is good numbers for JC Ramirez, believe it or not. 3.92 ERA, not that great. But striking out 29 batters is great. It's great. I'll be real. First couple of games for J.C. Ramirez down there, he was hitting about 92 to 93 miles an hour with his fastball. That is what he was topping out as. Then the games start to progress for J.C. Ramirez, and that's when velocity went up and his consistency was a whole lot better. Like I said, this is why he went to the Winter League. 
get his confidence back, get his consistency back, and get his velocity back. 2017 season, let's talk about that again. J.C. Ramirez had never started in the major leagues before 2017. Previously, he had pitched as a reliever for four different teams. I mean, he hadn't even started a minor league game after uh, 2011, I believe. Because of how hard he could throw, J.C. Ramirez believed that he was destined to become a closer on a major league team. But the Angels' intention to use him as a starter in 2017 really gave him a boost of confidence and the imagery of, I can do this. I can be a starter for a Major League Baseball team, whether that be for the Angels in the future or possibly another club in the near future. Great 2017 season. I talked about that, you know, not the best numbers per se, but really pretty good numbers for a guy who had never who hadn't started a game since 27 since uh 2011 all right i mean you got to give it to him um what's awful for jc ramirez so he has a great 2017 season 2018 rolls around it's about it's april and he's diagnosed with a full tear of the ulnar ulnar collateral ligament in his right arm which is his throwing arm and boom, he's done. Ramirez did not pitch in another Major League Baseball game until July of 2019. And in July 2019, he was commonly used out of the bullpen. Ramirez really, really struggled during his rehabilitation to regain the form he once had. So guess what the Angels decide to do? The Angels decide to stop stretching him out as a starter. Plays five games in the major leagues. His fastball is topping out at 91 miles an hour. Angels remove him from the 40-man roster in August, and then they release him a few months later. So that release leads to a long free agency period for him. Angels decided to re-sign him. You know, they saw the confidence and the consistency and velocity he had down in Mexico and decided, why don't we give him another shot? I'm very eager to see him play and, and to see where he's at health-wise because this guy is a different kind of specimen. Velocity is something the Angels don't have. I mean, 96 miles an hour may not seem a lot to some of you people, but 96 miles an hour is, to me is a big milestone. It's a big accomplishment. It's a huge feat for an Angels rotation that isn't topping out too fast. I think Griffin Canning's our fastest thrower, I believe. He hits about 94, 95-ish. And I believe JC, I've seen JC Ramirez touch 100 miles per hour before. I believe he can. Touch that again if he keeps it up, if he keeps his rehabilitation going and this consistency going and this boost of confidence he's having going. Keep it up, JC. I love to see it. Now, I want to talk a little bit of basketball, and I want to talk these Utah Jazz. Okay. Oh, for uh, what, what am I even trying to say right now? Oh, um, for the viewer, this is being recorded on February 23rd of 2020. So this is not up to date when it comes to scores and or stats. The stats and scores are are correct for this time period that it is that this is being recorded. Utah Jazz take a very tough loss on Saturday. February 22nd, 2020 to the Houston Rockets. They lose 121-10. And uh, this sucked. I'll be real because the Jazz really, there wasn't a lack of effort there. I thought the effort was there from the Jazz. But really, once again, the physicality wasn't there. And the playmaking wasn't there. 
this wasn't as ugly as a loss as they suffered against San Antonio on the 21st. But it's still a heartbreaking loss because of where the Jazz and Rockets are in the Western Conference. The Jazz are the number four seed and the Rockets are the number five seed. And they continue to progress and advance on the Utah Jazz in the Western Conference standings. First thing I noticed from the Rockets game is the Jazz's three-point attack faltered. All right, I mean, the Rockets hit 23s in the game, and the Jazz only hit seven. Jazz scored 64 points in the paint, while the Rockets only scored 36. 39 is 11 more than 28. The Jazz lost by 10 points. Okay, In particular, the Jazz only shot 22% from three-point range. The Jazz are averaging 38% from three-point range. If the Jazz had made 11 threes in that game, they would have won. But they only made seven. You make four more three-pointers and you beat the Houston Rockets. But the consistency from three-point wasn't there. 22%, that's awful. While you're regular shoot, regularly shooting 38%, 16% down? Holy crap. That makes me mad. Now, this is now seemingly the one millionth example of the Jazz not getting their threes to fall against the Rockets. There's evidence that three-point shooting defense is highly, highly random. The trend of the Jazz being unable to shoot the three against the Rockets now goes back many years with wildly different calibers of shooters. It's ridiculous. I mean, I look back to 2017. I look back to November 5th, 2017. Jazz shot 38.2%. On December 7th, 2017, the Jazz shot 36.7%. December 18th, 2017, they shot 29.6%. February 26th, 2018, they shot... No, hold up. Yeah. February 26th, 2018, they shot 24.1%. April 29th, 2018... No, April 29th, 2018, excuse me, they shot 31.8%. This is not good numbers. So 30% three-point shooting over the course of 21 games against the Houston Rockets in the past three years isn't great. But now the Jazz played the Rockets twice in the month of February. They played them on February 9th, and they played them on the 22nd. That 30% three-point shooting has gone down. The numbers just have not been updated. In nine of those last 11 games, the Jazz have shot below 30%. That is very, very hard to do, ladies and gentlemen. The Jazz have good shooters. The Jazz have good looks in those games. But they don't knock them down. When you don't make shots, it impacts your defense. There are a number of things that you can point out to as far as the three-point shooting goes. There is. And you can attribute it to Houston. Jazz get good looks, but they don't knock them down at all. And it's ridiculous. Here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. The Jazz need to figure out whether you can attribute it to Houston or not. Because if you can, then the strategy needs to change. It is very hard to shoot this poorly from three-point range and win games. It's almost impossible. The larger 21-game sample is statistically significant. But the three-game sample, since the team got Bogdanovich, Conley, Clarkson, and crew instead of Rubio, Crowder, and those dudes, it's very, it's very, it's a very significant deal. Very different ball game. Do you think the Jazz's system clashing with Houston in an ugly way means that the threes don't go in? Answer that question to yourself. I won't answer it, but ask yourself that question. <sighs> 
I don't know what I would do if I were in Quinn Snyder's situation. That's a very hard situation. I trust Quinn Snyder, though. I know that he will make the adjustments necessary for the Utah Jazz to win. I think one of the bigger questions, and I've heard this a lot. I've heard a lot of fans say this. They want the Jazz to pull a Nuggets from 2019 and tank, if necessary, if that means you avoid the Houston Rockets. Another four to five matchup against them seems like the hardest possible first round option for the Jazz. It really does. So that's my first thing. Second thing for me was Rudy Gobert guarding Russell Westbrook. This is the second game in a row the Jazz have had Rudy Gobert defend Russell Westbrook. And guess what? Russell Westbrook took advantage of it again. He scored 34. This time, though, it was very different. Not very different, excuse me. It was a you know, it was a little different. And the Jazz's first matchup, they tried the Gobert versus Westbrook matchup, and Gobert got bested at the rim once James Harden set a screen on him. This time, Westbrook got 20 of his 38 points from the perimeter. I mean, Westbrook went seven from thir- seven for 13 from mid-range and two from two for four from three-point range. Westbrook's mid-range shot when open is actually pretty good, believe it or not. I mean, that 55% you see is on a small sample size, but it's also about what it was last season too. Westbrook calls the mid-range jump shot his cotton shot. That is what he terms it because it's nothing but net. This is what he said post-game. He said it's cash. Me and my pops worked on that at 14 years old. Cash money. I'm going to be real with you. In my opinion, Gobert can do a better job of contesting it while still making the drive to the rim difficult. Because he has shown a tremendous ability to recover when beaten in the dribble drive game. So he can afford to be within four to six feet of Russell Westbrook at all times. Not Do not sag by seven or more feet, you have got to be within the vicinity of four to six feet when guarding Russell Westbrook. I do like Quinn Snyder's strategy of having Gobert guard Westbrook in general, though. It does allow him to help on other players' actions, and because Westbrook's not really a great catch-and-shoot guy, Gobert has the ability to recover in time to get close enough to Westbrook if he does get in a catch-and-shoot position. I mean, the Rockets only got to the rim on 29% of their possessions on the 22nd. And guess what? That's well below league average. Well below league average because guess what? In all honesty, they're scared of Rudy Gobert down low, and I would be too. But in reality, if you're sticking Rudy Gobert on the tallest guy on the court, that being P.J. Tucker or Robert Covington. It just depends on what time in the game those two are on the court. He never really gets that chance. I do like the strategy, like I said. Stick Gobert on Westbrook. Have him still stay there. I mean, (coughs) so far it's only been a two-game trial. Those two games, Westbrook has won both matchups. I'll be real. But still try Make sure he is within that four to six feet vicinity. Seven or feet below seven or feet more. No, I can't do that. You can't do that. <sighs> My third thing. The Utah Jazz need to try a zone. The Jazz have played four possessions of zone all season long coming into the Rockets game on the 22nd. They played 14 possessions of zone on the 22nd, and guess what? It worked. On six of those possessions, the Rockets scored. On eight of them, they didn't. That's not bad at all. Okay, Quinn Snyder after the game, this is what he had to say. He said, it's something we've talked about at various times. Sometimes coming into the game, we've considered using it and then not done it for whatever reason. It's just an opportunity to give them a different look in certain situations. I thought we had some success with it in the first half, 
part of the nature of zone is that you're going to give something up, and whether or not the ball goes in makes you feel like you're playing well. I don't think it's anything we'll commit to the way that, you know, Syracuse would, but really it comes down to giving James Harden different looks or in certain matchup situations. Snyder, I really like Quinn Snyder's point about the ball going in or not is true. The Rockets, remember, remember, the Rockets did miss two wide open three point shots against the zone in the second quarter. Ones they really should have drilled. I'll be real. But then there are the situations like this where they have Mr. PJ Tucker in the corner, or they have Mr. Eric Gordon in the corner, and then they run the zone. <coughs> Excuse me. They don't cover the guy in the zone. They're all shifted towards the right because the Rockets get them all going to the right. Boom, they pass it up. Pass it up to Westbrook. Boom, they shoot it off to Harden. Then, then they shoot it off right there to Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon's going to take the three, and he's going to drill it. I don't think it's the answer against the Rockets. In other words, but it does have the potential to change things up every once in a while. Run the zone. Try it, man. You tried 14 possessions of it in the game against the Rockets, and it worked. So I don't see why you can't use it more to your advantage. I know, I know, Quinn Snyder. You're not going to give into it like Syracuse would. <clears throat> but I think you have to have an open-mindedness mentality towards it. Don't block it out of your mind. Make sure you have it in the game plan and that it's ready to go. So that's what th those are my three things for you. For the Utah Jazz, get better on your three-point attack. You know what? You got to find out if your three-point struggles are attributed to Houston. Find that out now. If you can find the answer to that question, work out some strategies to counter it. Number two, Rudy Gobert on Russell Westbrook. I like the matchup. Make sure he's within the four to six feet vicinity. <coughs> Seven or more feet, and you're, <coughs> you're in the danger zone. And number three, try a zone defense. It works. I believe it will continue to work for you if you keep it going. All right? I'm very passionate, very, very passionate about the Jazz. I want to see them succeed. I like them at the number four seed. If they finish at the four seed, I would not be disappointed. We need to start winning ball games, though. We can't lose the teams like San Antonio. We can't lose to Houston and that close of a game. Be up 66 to 62 at the half and then lose. We got to beat these teams. Once again, I want to thank Daniel Garcia. Give him a big shout out. Go make sure to follow him on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure to go follow their podcast on Twitter on in and Instagram at Halo, Halo underscore Haven. They post great Angels content. Once again, thank you, Daniel. Appreciate your time. Yeah, I always have fun talking Angels baseball. Love talking jazz. And until next time, guys, catch you later.